What we're doing as a church family is we are processing through a teaching series that's called There and Back Again. There and Back Again. And our church is a biblically-based church. And so what we've been doing as a church family over the past couple of weeks is we've been looking at the Older Testament and saying, how does that connect with the Newer Testament? And so in looking at that, what we've come to understand, and we will if we haven't already, is that exploring the connections between the Old Testament and the New Testament is important for our faith journey. It's important. I know that many of us, maybe as we've begun to follow Jesus or you're checking out how Jesus is, almost all sermons you hear are now from the Newer Testament. You will find that these messages begin in the Gospels, maybe it'll move towards what's called the pastoral uh, epistles, maybe even dabble in the book of Revelations. But ultimately what we hear are messages from the Newer Testament. But here's what I believe to be true. That if we don't also understand the basic things of the Older Testament, then our faith in Jesus, our Newer Testament reality, kind of floats out there in Neverland. But as we understand the Older Testament and how it connects to the Newer, it gives us a deep, deep foundation of who God is. And oh, let me tell you, the God of the Older Testament is also the God of the Newer Testament. He is. And so what I want to do this morning is kind of shine a huge light on an Older Older Testament reality that is called to affect us today. It's called to affect us today. Funny enough, I want to talk about Sabbath rest. I want to talk about a Sabbath. Now, in line with that, The Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments. And by the way, I'm well aware this morning's teaching might go a little bit deeper than I normally do. But one of the reasons why is I have been personally convicted by God about my own Sabbath rest. Here's why. Sunday, in case you didn't know, is a work day for me. It's kind of the busiest day of the week. And so when other people are allowed to take a Sabbath rest, I'm not getting one. And so God had convicted me several months ago, and so as I've been looking and studying through the Older Testament to say, what do I need to upload to the City Church family, I found that this message, which has impacted me first, is a message I feel called to bring to you. And so what we're going to do together is we're going to take a look at the whole concept of Sabbath What you need to know is that Sabbath and celebrating one day of the week, that one day of the week in Jewish faith is called Sabbath or Sabbath rest. It is a period of time where Jewish people, unplugged from everything in life, they spend time together and they worship God. Here's what I will tell you. The Sabbath is the core law of the Jewish faith. It is the preeminent law of the Ten Commandments. It's the most important of all of them. Jewish people have lived by the Sabbath 
for thousands and thousands of years ever since the commandment came to them through the law of Moses. It is the one thing that they cling to no matter where they are or where they live. It's that one thing where they set aside as a sign to God and to everyone around them that they are a people who are going to follow God no matter what culture says. And so this morning, I want to take a look at the Ten Commandments together. We're going to begin by not really looking at them, but we're going to specifically look at the Fourth Commandment. So if you have a smartphone, turn with me to Exodus chapter 20, or you can utilize the Bibles we provide or just read up on the screen, as there will be part of the fourth commandment. Now I can say with confidence, almost all people believe that it's at least some of the Ten Commandments are a good thing. The first four deal with our relationship with God. The last six deal with our relationship with people. God is a relational God. Again, the first four deal with our relationship with God, and then the last six deal with our relationships with people. Most of us would agree with some of the laws. Almost everyone would. Things like this. Honor your father and mother. I love that one. You shall not murder. Oh, by the way, killing destroys relationships. You shall not commit adultery. Committing adultery destroys the family, and it wreaks havoc on culture. God knows that. You shall not steal. When you steal, you take someone else's life. They have worked for what they have, and when you steal what they have, you take some of their life. Do not give false testimony. In other words, don't lie about others for your advantage. Don't join in on the gossip about someone in the office. Don't bear false testimony. And then last, might be difficult for you to do, but do not covet your neighbor's house or how they mow their yard or how they mulch their flower beds. Do not covet that. See, with that, we kind of go in and it sort of makes sense to us. But as people who follow Jesus and serve others, we recognize that the first four commandments are important to us as a people. As a matter of fact, I have found that the last six are almost impossible without God. Here's why. You should meet some of the neighbors I've had over the years. (laughs) But the fourth commandment is an amazing one. It's also the longest. It's the most detailed. It's the one that people most often would try to cheat on. And so God in His wisdom, as He gives the law of Moses to Moses in Exodus chapter 20, He tells him this, verse 8, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall work and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, this is painful to read, nor your son or your daughter. As a parent, what you want to do is kick up your heels, 
Say, Mom and I are going to take a Sabbath. You go mow the lawn. But see, God knows how we think. And so he goes on to say, neither your male nor your female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigners residing in your towns. In other words, it's work stoppage. Stop working. That's what God says. And he says, here's why. Verse 11, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he, even God, rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. When you read the Ten Commandments and you come to this commandment, it is incredibly detailed. It's almost like God is trying to hem in His people. Because they'll sit there and think, oh, okay, so my kids can't work, so I'm going to have my servants work. Well, no, they can't work, so why don't I hire a bunch of foreigners? No, they can't work, so why don't I just hook up my mule, put a carrot in front of him, and let him plow the field by himself? And God says, no. There's a day of rest. And it's not just a day of rest for you, it's a day of rest for all creation. Even the animals take a break, and they get to rest. And when God gives the law to Moses at the end, God announces this, that even Moses, I'm even God, rested on the seventh day. He put his feet up. Now what's fascinating is, is if you were to study Sabbath in the Older Testament, that you would discover that God comes to Moses again in a speech, was in a speech. And if you were to look into Exodus, what you would discover is that God leads His people out of captivity through Moses, and as He leads them out to, from captivity, from Egypt, from slavery, towards the promised land, He has this leader named Moses, and He comes to him and says, Moses, here are the ten things that you need to do if you want to remain free. Because I'm going to take you into a land that flows with milk and honey. And when I take you out of slavery over into there, here are the laws that you're to obey. Later on in the book of Exodus, God gives a bunch of minutia laws about worship, the priesthood, all different type of laws. And Moses begins to put people in place to fulfill the call of God in those specific laws. What's fascinating is, as you move through the book of Exodus... God gives Moses seven speeches. There are seven. Each speech, theologians have discovered and Bible scholars have discovered, each speech coincides with a different day of creation. It's incredible. The last speech deals with Sabbath rest. And it's found in Exodus 31. You don't need to turn there. But in there, God gives a speech to Moses about Sabbath. And in that speech, uh, coinciding with the seventh day of creation, what it tells us is, is that at the end of creating, God rested and was refreshed. He was refreshed. But what's fascinating is, is that the Hebrew word for refreshed or that is translated refreshed, is actually a verb that's taken from the noun 
that will sound familiar to you because the same noun is found in the following phrase, bless the Lord, O my soul. But the word for soul is actually the word self. Bless the Lord, O my self. But what's fascinating is that noun three times in the Older Testament is brought out as a verb. In Hebrew, that word for self or soul becomes, it moves towards a verb. And one of those times is in the speech where God explains to Moses that at the end of his creation, God himself was refreshed. Or it could be said this way. God was re-selfed. He was re-selfed. And the rabbis teach us, and we have a hard time conceiving of this, but the rabbis teach us that God exhausted Himself in creativity and in creation and the massive exertion of creating over those first six days caused him to have to be reselved, to be refreshed, to have his soul restored. It would be similar to when you might say, after having overworked yourself, give me a moment, let me gather myself. Let me regroup. How many of you have ever heard it said where someone says, let me regather myself? You've heard that. Well, here what we have in Exodus 31 is God literally says to Moses, I reselved myself. After creation, I regathered myself, and for one day, I rested. I rested. Let me put it to you this way. If God was depleted after six days of work, how much more you and how much more me? When the original commandment is given, it says to Moses in that account, Moses, on the sixth day I want you to rest because I rested. God himself rested on the Sabbath day and he too reselved himself. He gathered himself together and he too was refreshed. What you begin to understand if you, and I'm not going to go through all the details, but if you begin to study Sabbath through the Older Testament, the command was not just given to man, but there was a sense that through God's command to man, that all of creation, every seventh day, in and of itself, needs rest. Don't work the fields. Don't work the animals. For one day, let all of creation settle and take a break. And here's what the rabbis teach us very quickly. And it's this. That if you and I get outside of taking a one-day-a-week rest, we actually begin to violate one of the laws of nature. It's not just spiritual. It's the understanding that all of creation, because God is our Creator, has said, 
that one day a week, all of nature is to rest. And if we violate this, life becomes unsustainable. It will not work, and it will be, there will come a period of time, and it won't be long before everything around us begins to implode. So if you need permission to stop working, God has given it to you. God says, I have created you, and I've created this world, and He knows best. And what He says is this, one day a week, you must stop working. You must. Put it aside, and then we're going to discover what God calls us to focus on in the midst of a Sabbath rest. The next time the law of God is given to Moses, it's very fascinating. The first time it is given in the book of Exodus. And you see as Israel exits, in exits Egypt and slavery towards the promised land, that's what the book of Exodus is about. Once they move into the promised land, God gives them the book of Deuteronomy. And the book of Deuteronomy is a very detailed book that as you read it, you fall asleep after chapter 1. Because it's law, after law, after law, after law. But what he's teaching them is, is if a people who have lived in slavery and have been governed by a tyrant for 400 years, if they're going to survive as a civilization, there are laws that God's going to give them. Otherwise, as a people, there will be chaos. So the book of Deuteronomy is, in, is God's loving heart to His people saying, you have not governed yourself for over 400 years. I'm going to bring you into the promised land, and I'm going to give you a set of laws that will help you function as a healthy society. The Ten Commandments are the center of those. Now, God, in the book of Exodus, gives Moses the Ten Commandments. And then it's something very fascinating happens. Because in the book of Deuteronomy, when God recounts those Ten Commandments again to His people, there is a change in the fourth commandment. It's in the fourth one. You see, the first time He gives it, He says to His people, you must rest on the seventh day, on the Sabbath day, because God rested. This time, as he recounts the same Ten Commandments, you can look at them again in Deuteronomy chapter 5. It's page 144 in the Bibles we provide, or page 145. But in verse 15, here's what God says. Here's the law there to live by. He says this, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. I want you to remember the word slaves. We're going to come back to that. God says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. In the Exodus account, God says you're going to observe it because God rested. But in Deuteronomy, God switches it. And the call for Sabbath is different than it was in the book of Exodus. And this time, the call for Sabbath 
is because you were once a slave, but God has now saved you. He has delivered you. So now I want you to have a Sabbath. It was God that set you free. So when you look at this idea of the law of God towards His people, the initial reason for the, ten, the fourth commandment out of ten was because God rested. Now God says, the reason for your Sabbath is because you were a slave, now you're free. Now you're free. So when you think about Sabbath, you begin by, God is my creator, that's why I take a Sabbath rest. When you hit the book of Deuteronomy, it's because God is my Savior. That's why you take a Sabbath rest. Now, we're going to come back to those thoughts in just a moment, so hold those. But what you would discover as you look through the Older Testament, that Sabbath begins with one day. One day. But as you look at God's law, it begins to grow. It begins with the seventh day. But then there's a peculiar Sabbath that hits in the seventh year. You're going to love this one. The peculiar Sabbath involves the entire seventh year. And in the seventh year, in Deuteronomy chapter 15, it tells us that God's people among themselves are to cancel all debts. And all God's people said, Amen. So what happens with the Sabbath? One day a week, stop working, take a break, relax, remove everything, focus on me, clean slate, start the next week fresh and clean. When Sabbath grows, it turns out to the seventh year. God very carefully through the Deuteronomic law says to his people that on the seventh year all loans between Jewish people will be forgiven. All of them. How many of you sit here right now and say you're going to call Chase Manhattan Bank about your credit card and say it's been well over seven years that I've owed you this money. God's law says I don't owe it. It's seven years. We're even. But God comes to his people and he says, I want to give debt a rest. Debt is not good. Debt burdens people. And what's incredible, if you were to read about this financial Sabbath, you would discover that God comes to his people and he begins to think around them again. Because people who recognize that loaning money in the last year wouldn't get a great return might push away those who are in need might literally shove them away. So God says this to His people. Deuteronomy 15.8, He says, When it comes to the poor, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend whatever they need. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. Listen to the wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for canceling debts is near so that you do not show ill will towards the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. In other words, God knows human tendency. He wants a sabbatical from debt in the seventh year. And what He knows is some people 
are going to say, my goodness, I don't want to loan anyone money because it will be forgiven within a year's time. God knows that that's coming. So He interjects to them. Then Sabbath grows even more. It goes from the seventh day to the seventh year. And then it goes to the seven by seventh year. It goes to the 49th year. And in the 49th year, actually the year after the 49th year, it's called the year of Jubilee. That's an entire Sabbath for all people and all land in all of Israel. Now you don't just separate, celebrate Sabbath on one day of the week or in the seventh year forgive debts, but on this 50th year, all indebted slaves due to debt are set free. All land that had been originally given to certain families by Moses but had to be sold because of debt, all land is returned to the original owners. Not only this, but in the 50th year, farmers are not allowed to farm. Nothing gets harvested. The land is to lay quiet so that it can restore itself. You see, Sabbath rest is not just for people, but it's for all creation. God commands it would rest. That's found in Leviticus chapter 25. Just so you know, if the book of Deuteronomy has not put you to sleep, the book of Leviticus is guaranteed to put you to sleep. Here's the incredible thing. God brings Sabbath and rest to the center of His people. And when you are burdened by debt or by work, what incredible news that is. The sad truth is, there is no biblical or extra-biblical record anywhere that the Jews ever practiced Jubilee. They did the others, but there's no evidence that the 50-year Jubilee was ever celebrated in fullness. So now if we could, let's go back to where we sort of began. What we have now is Moses is exiting slavery and he's moving towards the promised land. And as he is, and as he is traveling with his people, he's got his law. And the law says on the seventh day, they are not to work. They are to pause and take a day off. And in Exodus 16, God does a miracle. The miracle is incredible. They are hungry. They're traveling up to a million of them are traveling through the wilderness. And they begin to grumble before their God because they're hungry just like some of your stomachs are doing now. They grumble. And God, by His grace, sends quail. Not only does He send quail for protein, but this stuff begins to fall from heaven called manna. And they look at it and say, what is it? That's what manna literally means. What is it? So Moses has a law for that. God says to Moses in Exodus 16, verse 20, Here's what's supposed to happen. Every morning, the people should rise up and get a little basket called an omar. They're to take this manna, put it in the omar, one omar for each person in the home. Only collect enough for the day. That's it. But some people get greedy. Some people also can't trust God. 
So they gather an omar plus extra. And in the morning when they woke up, what they had not consumed the day before now stinks, it's rancid and filled with maggots. So the people dump that out and Moses judges them harshly and says, I told you, only enough manna for each day. You see, God was teaching His people, you can trust me. I will provide for your needs. You don't have to worry. You don't have to store everything up out of fear. I'm a God that knows what you need. That law also said to the Israelite people that when you approach the last day before the Sabbath, you can take two omars for each person. Fill it, eat one omar one day, and you'll consume the second omar on the Sabbath. And God performed a miracle. Because every other day of the week, if you took extra, it would rot, stink, and fill with maggots. But on the Sabbath, God protected the second omar. He was letting them know that I am a God that you can trust. You can relax on that day and trust me that I will provide for your needs. Now here's the incredible thing. Deuteronomy 5.15. I'm going to read it again. It's the second time God brings His law. The fourth commandment the first time, you must observe Sabbath because God rested. But in Deuteronomy 5.15, God switches the reason. I'm going to read it again. God says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out, the, out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe a Sabbath. Now, let's push the pause button. Here's what we need to understand and understand clearly. God says to His people, you were slaves. I've set you free. Now take one day a week off. When I look at this, something struck me. What is a slave? A slave is someone who lives exhausted. They live tired all the time. They are dominated, maxed out stressed out and freaked out. They work seven days a week without a break. And everywhere they turn, there's more oppression, more work, more stress. And that's how the Israelites lived for 400 years. And when God sets them free and God brings them out from slavery, He says to them, you will take a day off. You see, ultimately, Sabbath became a revolt against Pharaoh and the Egyptian empire. It was Israelite people saying, you as a culture have worked seven days a week, but we as a culture, we are going to take one day off and we will trust God. And we will believe that what we can do in six days will be greater than what you can do in seven, because God will make up the difference. God will. Now, here's what I have the clearest sense. Some of us here are in slavery. You live freaked out, stressed out, 
and you work in your brain seven days a week. Some of us have been sitting here in this auditorium, and half of the time, your brain has been on your work. You cannot take a break. You're caught. You're enslaved. You're exhausted. You're weary, and you're tired. What I want to say to you is, God is calling you to a Sabbath. It is time for you and me to step off the hamster wheel of culture and begin to look around us and say, enough is enough. I'm going to rest. I'm going to allow my soul to be restored and to be reselved. If God needed it, I need it. As we move to the Newer Testament, a lot of people believe that the Older Testament fades away. But what's incredible is, is that Jesus Christ observed the Sabbath. Mark chapter 2 verse 27 tells us clearly that Jesus was out with His disciples one day. They were walking through a wheat field. And as they walked through a wheat field, they grabbed some grain, they rubbed it together and began to eat it, and some Pharisees saw them. And when the Pharisees saw them rubbing those few kernels together and popping them in their mouth, by the way, I grew up on a farm, I've eaten oats and wheat that way so many times. It's a wonderful snack unless you get a worm. But I did that as a boy. You'd get hungry, you just grab them, you rub them together, the husks come off, you blow the chaff away, and you pop the weed in your mouth. It's a wonderful experience. That's what Jesus' disciples are doing. But some Pharisees observed them doing that on the Sabbath. Moses' law said you cannot thresh grain on the Sabbath. They observed him doing that with his disciples, and they rebuked them. And here's what Jesus says to those people. Mark 2, 27. Then Jesus said to them, the Pharisees, the rule keepers, the Sabbath was not made for man. I'm sorry, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, God had made Sabbath for man. God had instituted that law so people could regroup and refresh, and rejuvenate, and regather themselves. But you see, those Jewish people, those Pharisees, were so into rules, so into minutiae, that they would determine who was in and who was out by rules that were being lived. But Jesus makes this announcement that Sabbath is all about humankind. It's about you and I being restored. Then the very next episode in Mark chapter 2, you find Mark chapter 3. And in Mark chapter 3, Jesus does something intentionally. It's the Sabbath day, and there is a man with a withered hand. The Pharisees, the rule keepers, are watching to see if he will heal on the Sabbath. Jesus grabs the man by the wrist in Mark chapter 3 and holds up his hand. And he essentially says, what better time than to bring the work of God and to bring freedom to this man? And Jesus heals him, and the rule keepers determine, we've got to kill him. We must get rid of him. 
Now, Jesus lived the Sabbath. He worshiped through the Sabbath. I have a question for you. Are you a person that is willing to keep Sabbath rest? I know again that some of us here live exhausted, you're burnt out, you're worn out, you're depleted. You have gotten into the slavery that our culture demands. And in doing so, you've lost yourself. You're weary and tired. When you hear about looking like Jesus or walking like Jesus, that's so far removed from you because you're depleted, you're exhausted, you're tired. Your heavenly Father would say to you, it's time to make a change. It's time to begin to trust Him. It's time to begin to rely on Him. It's time to set aside success, people-pleasing, and the other things that put us on this hamster wheel called the American culture. It is time to set it aside and say enough is enough. I'm going to step into God. I will take a day to refresh myself and to worship God and to enjoy this creation. If you've come to the point where you no longer enjoy life, Sabbath is for you. It's for you. God commands it. He calls you to it. And God would also say this to you. What you can do with Him in six days is so much greater than what you can do on your own in seven. Would you stand with me with your communion as we close? As we stand together, I'm going to ask that we would take just a moment in God's presence. As we prepare our hearts for communion, we're going to worship to a worship song entitled, Be Still My Soul. As we sing this together, I want you to take a moment in God's presence and allow Him to refresh your soul. But as you do so, be open to the leading of the Spirit. What is God calling you to? What is He calling me to? As we together consider the Sabbath rest command of God. Let's worship Him.
the Apostle Paul writes to us that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had broken it, he said, and after giving thanks, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Before we eat of this bread, this bread resembles the body of Christ. Christ is termed in the Newer Testament as God's manna from heaven. And he came to feed the souls of men. As we hold this bread, which is the symbol of Christ's broken body, will you take rest and take peace in his broken body for your refreshing, for your restoration, your wholeness and peace in a chaotic world. Will you focus on him as we partake together? Paul writes to us in the same way after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it, remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's hold the cup up before the Lord. Jesus, we thank you for your shed blood. We thank you that in this cup there's the symbol of the covering and the forgiveness and the removal of our sins. So, Lord, in this moment, we accept what you have done for us in the midst of our Sabbath rest. We say, thank you, God, for what you have done for us through Christ. We acknowledge it together as we drink together. Can we, for a moment, close our eyes again in God's presence? What is the Holy Spirit speaking to you about a Sabbath rest in your life? What is God speaking to your soul about trusting Him and resting in His provision? I've got a friend of mine through City Church who recently looked at his life, what he was doing for work, he knew it was, un, it was not sustainable to continue to be a good husband and a good father. And so he has made a career change in order to rectify that. I think sometimes when we stand before God at a time like this, a Sabbath rest may be a restructuring of our calendar, but it may also mean a restructuring the primary emphasis of our life. I believe God's heart for us is that as we follow Him, we would find rest in Him. That we would work six days, but one day we would rest. And in proving that we will trust in Him one day, we say to the culture and the slavery around us, we are not going to participate, but we will trust God 
going to pray a brief blessing over us. Then I'm going to ask that Ashley would continue to lead us in this hymn. Ashley, if you could start with the first stanza again and lead it from the beginning. But as we sing this first stanza, could this be the confession of our hearts? After we have sung through this hymn, if you would like prayer, you can come forward. If you need time to sit into God's presence and allow Him to minister to your heart about Sabbath rest, I encourage you to do that. But if after we've completed this hymn all the way through, if you would like to slip out quietly, please feel free to do that. And now may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine upon you. May he give you his peace. Let's stay in worship for a few moments as we sing this hymn together. God bless you.